Uh, this morning's scripture reading is out of 1 Peter, uh, chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one, as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Hey, kids are dismissed. If you haven't taken off already, go with uh, Miss Nene right there in the back. All right. Good morning again. Um, I'm not speaking this morning. I have a friend that I want to introduce to you who is speaking, teaching us the word. Uh, and I want to introduce uh, him and a couple of other people because they're very, very important to my uh, life. I wanted to be in Christian camping when I was in high school because I became a believer at uh, Pine Cove in East Texas. Some of you are familiar with that. And uh, so ended up working there and volunteering and things over the years and then uh, got a job there and went full time there and then realized Christian camping wasn't for me. And uh, so I uh, went to Dallas Seminary and, and worked at a church for 24 years uh, until I came here. And intertwined in all of that, especially in those early days, were several men who um, were my bosses. Uh, and so uh, my, uh, I, I wanted to talk to you for 20 or 30 minutes about them, but I, I can't um, because we're already going to be running a few minutes late. Uh, but um, for my staff, um, they are the ones who taught me about um, the... This is our living room, and when we welcome people in here, they should come in, and the carpet should be vacuumed just right, and this, this, the chairs should be straight or curved, as I like them to be, um, and that it should smell good, and everything that impacts you as a person who comes in here should feel really warm and welcoming to you, and I learned all that stuff at Pine Cove and many other things, and those guys are here this morning. Um, all of my bosses, except for one that was supposed to be here, including Jim Coons, have been here this summer for my whole life. Um, and so, uh, so I want to say this about having these guys in my house last night. Um, there's many, many stories I could tell you and about the things that I did were dumb and they forgave me for and the, the things that they showed me. But um, what was really powerful to me was to sit in my living room and hear their voices. I know that sounds maybe weird, but these guys have made huge imprints on my life. And, uh, just hearing you guys talk in my house and hearing the, those eras and I don't know. So thank you for all that. And I know there's more to come. And um, uh, so Dan, who's going to speak today, I don't, I don't need to tell you all of his accomplishments. It doesn't matter. Um, but uh, he was uh, the executive director at Pine Cove. Um, and I was a little kid. Come on, yeah, come on up, Dan. Uh, there's a step over here if you want to. Use it, I don't know. It's a little awkward. Uh, yeah, there. Yeah. You don't, yeah. 
There you go. Yeah. Dan used to whoop me at basketball, so I think I could take you now. I'm mean, no offense. I could, I could take I you. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we may have to give it a try. Think? You think, little guy? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Let's give it a try. Dan, when I was 16 uh, or 17, Dan took me to a Wendy's near, in my neighborhood at Forest and Marsh Line, you guys probably know. And uh, we, he took me there and, and said, hey, if you want to be in Christian camp, he was mentoring me into that. He said, you got to get a business degree. And so I did. And I'm so grateful that I got that. And now so staff, the spreadsheets, the budgets, <laughs> the things. Um, so uh, among, and certainly uh, my love uh, for the Lord and wanting to follow him. And, and Dan helped me get my job at Wood Creek Church where I was for all those years. Um, so uh, he's an integral part of my life. And so I'm just super glad to have him be here and interact with my friends and family here. So I apologize for the long introduction, but um, thank you for humoring me. And that's a big part of my biggest part of my life. So thank you, Scott. Appreciate it. Yeah. Good. All right. There's a spider on you, actually. <laughs> I brought that was my favorite spider. <laughs> you killed it. <laughs> All right. Well, Thank you, Scott. That's very kind. I, uh, we played a little part in Scott's life, but uh, God has done tremendous things, and we appreciate the chance to come up and spend some time with him and with you. Um, when, uh, when I was talking with Scott, we're, we have some guys who come up and going to fish, and Scott helped us uh, pull some things together, and uh, there's about, I think, 18 of us that will be fishing um, we heard that there was an overpopulation of trout in the area, and we're here to help you reduce that as best we can. But um, we, uh, we get together every once in a while. We used to get together about every year, group of guys fishing, and we haven't for about 10 years. So this is a little bit of a reunion for, for us as well. And when Scott asked me if I'd be willing to, uh, to speak, he, um, I said, are you in the middle of a series? Is there a particular topic you'd like for me to address? And he said, no, whatever the Lord lays on your heart. And just instantly, this uh, passage out of First Peter kind of popped in my mind. So I said, well, I don't exactly know why, but maybe God has something in store for you out of First Peter chapter four, verses seven through 11. So we won't have the, the PowerPoints, just kind of follow along. I just wanna walk us through this fascinating little passage. Uh, I have a book in my library. It says 88 reasons why Christ will return in 1988. <laughs> <laughs> Now, I think they missed it by just a little bit. And we have no idea when the Lord is going to return. But we do know that, you know, it's closer now than it was in 1988. I think, you know, we're, we, it feels like we're building to some sort of a crescendo. And in Peter's life, Peter's writing to a group of people who are scattered. They are running for their lives. There's great persecution. They are in trouble and they're trying to do their best to, to live out the Christian life while they're running for their lives. And Peter is writing them and said, hey, I know that you know, things could end quickly. You could be captured, you could be killed. Uh, you know, the Lord could return at any time, but we know that the end of all things is at hand. It's right before us. We're coming down. It's you know, the, the timer on the oven, you know, the, the cake is about to be baked and we don't want to cook it too long or too short. It's just about perfect or 
it's the uh, it's, it's like the, uh, the the fourth quarter of the football game. You get to the two minute warning. You get into this hurry up office. You know, you're trying to do everything you can to to win the game as as time is running out, and so you gain intensity and, and energy and focus and you take risks and you try to, to get as much done in as little time as possible. That's kind of the image that he's creating here. The end of all times is at hand. Time is running out. Let's focus on the things that are, are really important. Let's focus on the things that are going to make the biggest difference for eternity. Now, this isn't just same-o, same-o. This is let's get the job done. Let's finish and finish well. So you have this little word, therefore, and as we all know, when you see therefore, you look, why is it therefore? But that's a little trite. When we look at therefore, it, it describes a, a foundational truth. Uh, and this is, this is something that we, we take for granted and we listen and we hear, yeah, the end of all things is at hand. But this is an important truth, a way that we're supposed to live, a bedrock statement for us. Therefore, leads us as this hinge that moves us into the main section of the passage, and he gives us seven things we are supposed to do because time is running out. As we come to the end, these are the things that we need to focus on. And it's a little awkward. The words that are used here, the first two expressions are, are difficult. The, the first word is only used twice in the scripture, uh, once here. And once we have a beautiful picture of what it is, it's, it's to think clearly or to think in a, a focused way. The, the picture is that we have the other time that it's used, Jesus goes into a, a hostile area, a Gentile area, a pig farming area, a Gentile controlled area. And there is a crazy man who's running around in the tombs. He's cutting himself. They try to capture him. He rips the chains apart. He runs around naked. He's just a a wild man who is, is kind of terrorizing this community. And when Jesus comes, the guy falls down in front of him. Jesus casts out the demons. They go into the pigs. As you recall the story, they run into the ocean. And the people from the town come out and they see this guy who has been the, the wild man of the tombs. And he, they have three words or three phrases that describe him. First, he's sitting there. So he's no longer running out of control. He's localized. He's, he's kind of calm. And then it says he is clothed, dignity and, and uh, respectability. He's uh, kind of come to a new phase of, of responsibility in his life and, and self-awareness. And then the third thing is the same word that's used here. He's thinking clearly. He's, uh, he goes back to where he's, he's thinking clearly. So no longer is he scattered and acting impulsively and uh, in a wild, disoriented uh, way, he's focused and he's living a life that is a life of calmness and dignity and purpose. So the, the first thing that Peter is telling us here with the use of this word is, let's think clearly. Let's, let's think right about the world around us. Now let's remember that these people out there that, are, that believe things differently than us are not the enemy. These are the victims of the enemy. These are people that God loves and we need to love. Let's look at the world clearly. Who are these people that we need to connect with? These difficult people out there. Are they our enemies? No, they're the victims of our enemy. We need to see them as people that we can rescue. How do we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves as the good guys and them as the bad guys? We need to think clearly. Remember, we're broken people. We're wretched people that God has saved. 
We are just as vulnerable and just as weak, but we are people that have been forgiven, that God has reached down and, and pulled out of, the, uh, out of the sinful situations we've been in, and, uh, and we have him to thank for that. So we have to have a clear perspective of the world and ourselves and an understanding of who God is. He's this merciful, gracious, wonderful God who loves us enough to send his son to die in our place, to take our sin, and to establish a relationship with us that will last for eternity. This is the God that we serve. We need to think clearly about those things, and then we need to be self-controlled. That, that new thinking has to work its way into the way that we approach life and the way that we live life. What we know has to impact what we do. So Peter is writing this. He's saying, let's think clearly and let's be self-controlled and time is running out. And so Peter, you know, I'm sure he's having flashbacks to times when he thought he was gonna die. Uh, there was one time when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has uh, uh, kind of laid out the plan that he is going to be captured. And all of a sudden people with torches and clubs and swords come to arrest Jesus. And what does Peter do? He grabs a sword. He starts flailing away and he lops a guy's ear off. I always find this very humorous. I think of Jesus reaching down in the dirt, picking this guy's ear off, sticking it back on and say, Peter, put that sword away. Now I don't have time to do another miracle right now. We got other things. So just, you know, it just, the guy goes home and explains to his wife how he got the blood all over his shirt. And you know, it's an awkward, odd situation. But Peter thought he was, he was a goner. He thought the end of all things was a hand. And so he just started flailing away, out of control. Now, about 30 years later, he's writing, he's saying, let's think about things wisely. Let's set a plan. Let's work the plan. Let's, let's not just react. Let's respond. Let's, uh, let's kind of be under control. So the first couple of these are how we are to approach life in light of the fact that the end of all things is upon us. And then he moves in, and the next thing he says is, so that we can pray. He makes prayer an emphasis. It's fascinating to see that that's a, an emphasis this month in your church, that prayer is out there. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, let's think clearly, let's act wisely, and let's pray. Let's make sure that we're connected to God, that we're bringing our requests to him, that we're not wringing our hands in defeat, but we're coming with our concerns to him, our, the aches of our heart and the joys of our life, that we bring them all in prayer to him. The first thing that we need to do when we're thinking clearly and acting wisely is to connect with God in, in prayer. Another time that Peter uh, was at the end of his rope when it was just about the end of all things for Peter was, was when uh, Peter and the disciples were going across the Sea of Galilee in a boat and middle of the night, the wind is against them, they're struggling and they see this ghost or phantom, this person walking on the water and I go, we're losing our minds. That looks like a person walking. It's an apparition and hey, it's me and it's really Jesus if it's really you, let me walk to you. Sure, hop out of the boat, Peter. And Peter gets out of the water and uh, out of the boat, walks on the water. And then it says he looks at the winds and the waves. And he said, what am I thinking? I can't walk on water. And he starts to sink and Jesus grabs him, <laughs> puts him back in the boat. But as he's sinking, Peter you know, offers the, a profound prayer. He says, Lord, save me. And Jesus grabs him at that point and helps him back into the boat. Our prayers at times are like Peter's. 
You know, Lord, save me. I, I don't have time to go through a, a series of, you know, adoration and thanksgiving and all these wonderful things that we do at times. Sometimes we just have to, you know, in the midst of the end of all things are here, we're in a crisis. Lord, just save me. And he is always there to do that, to rescue us, to pull us up. Maybe not the way that we expect, but we connect with God through our prayers, venting our concerns and praising him and asking him and making sure that our life is focused on him. The end of all things is at hand, so we better pray. We don't have time not to pray. We need to make that a priority in our lives. He says the next thing we do is to love one another because love covers a multitude of sins. If we love one another, we are not going to be annoying, at least intentionally. We are going to try our best to get along with one another. And when someone else annoys us, we're gonna love them enough not to, not to make it a big issue. We're not gonna nitpick every little problem. We're not gonna always wanna get our way. The end of all things is at hand. We don't have time for these little squabbles. Let's just love each other and move forward, locking arms in unity, trying to do the most that we can for the, uh, for the kingdom of God during the time that we have remaining. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, we need to think clearly. We need to act under control. We need to pray and connect with God, and we need to make sure there's a bond of unity within the body so that there are not little divisions and squabbles and, and issues of, of concern and, and, and differences that are going to dis... Uh, uh, issues of discord that are going to destroy the unity within the body. We need to be unified and loving one another, overlooking and treating with disregard those things that can be a problem or can be a concern or in a day in and day out might have been an issue. We just need to let those things slide because there's more important things at hand. And then he moves on to, uh, to the issue of hospitality. Hospitality is, um, was a huge issue in the ancient Middle Eastern culture. There were, it was a higher value than it is in, in our culture, but it was a high value. And it remains a high value because the word hospitality means a lover of strangers. It's a, a picture of people who are reaching out beyond their comfort zone and are welcoming people into relationship with them, that are looking out for the needs of the people around them, that are willing to provide for them, uh, both in terms of material needs and in protection. Pro provision and protection are both part of this concept. When Paul writes to, uh, to Timothy and he writes to Titus, these two young church planters that are out there, and he's giving them advice as to who they should look for in leadership development, he said one of the things to look for, Timothy and Titus, is a is people who are hospitable, people who have the gift of hospitality, people who are willing to reach out and to meet the needs of the people around them. That's the, the picture. We, we see a wonderful example of that. And uh, back in Genesis chapter 18, remember, the heat of the day, Abraham is sitting at his tent, taking a little siesta in the middle of the day, and three strangers wander up. What does he do? He gets up, he has them sit down in the shade of a tree. He washes their feet. He asks them if he can get them some food. He runs. He, they slaughter a calf. They get a huge amount of, of bread that they make. He gets his servants and his wife involved, and they abundantly and quickly provide 
an overwhelming amount of, of food and, and comfort for these people that, that come their way. That's a picture of, of hospitality. You're a, a fascinating church in a, in a resort community where you always have strangers coming in, new people visiting, part of, of this body that you're welcome. I remember 15 years ago or so, my wife and I and our daughter were here in Crested Butte and we, we sat in on a, a Sunday morning. I remember we had two or three wonderful conversations with people who, I don't remember them, but just, uh, just people who came up, greeted us, welcomed us, asked us if we were new to the community, or uh, and just, just made an effort to make a connection with us. And, and that's what we're looking for in this wonderful picture of hospitality. So because our, we're thinking clearly and acting wisely and acting under control, we first of all, we connect with God through prayer. Then we lock arms with the people around us in, in love, and then we reach out to the community around us to help and make a difference and to share the love of God with the people within our sphere of, of influence. The end of all things is hand, so we gotta do the basics, staying connected to God, staying connected with one another, and reaching out to the others. And then the last couple of uh, little items that he talks about are really two uh, sides of a coin. He says, everybody's been given a gift. I want you to use those gifts as best you can. Some of you have received gifts that are speaking oriented. If you have a speaking gift, speak the very words of God. Speak the oracles of God. And we think of that in terms of people who preach or teach or Sunday school leaders and, and that sort, people who lead Bible studies. But all of us have the opportunity to speak the oracles of God, to speak the word of God in terms of the encouragement that we provide to people around us, the love that we show. We can all go have a cup of coffee with somebody and, and ask them how they're doing and prop them up along the way. We can all send an email to somebody, say, hey, I was praying for you today. I know it's a tough time with you. Da -da -da -da. How can I be of, of help? Just, just those simple words of encouragement, those those little words that, that prop up and build up and don't tear down and discourage, but those who are, uh, are the words of encouragement. God says, hey, everybody has a gift. Those of you who have speaking gifts, use those gifts. When I was a, a boy, I grew up in a, a home, my older sister, older brother, there was me, and then a younger brother. And on Christmas morning, we'd rip open our packages and, you know, my sister might get a game of Monopoly and my brother a basketball. I'd get a football. My younger brother would get a puzzle. We, um, you know, my sister could have taken her Monopoly game and uh, gone in her room and played Monopoly by herself. But that's kind of ludicrous. I mean, you don't play Monopoly by yourself. You get everybody around the table and everybody gets a little markers and everybody plays the game together. Or my well, my older brother could have gone out and shot baskets by himself. I could have thrown the football up in the air by myself. My brother could have made his puzzle all by himself. But that's not the purpose that my parents had in mind. So we want to give these gifts to you for the benefit of the family. These are not your gifts to hoard. These are your gifts to care for and use for the benefit of the whole family. Now, you need to pick it up. You need to make sure it's put away. You need to care for it. But if you have a speaking gift, you speak, but you're not the only gift out there. There are other gifts that need to be used as well. And some of those gifts are serving gifts. Maybe you're good at web design or IT 
work that you can do for the church. Maybe you're good at setting up the chairs in, in rows. I'm not certain what it is. Maybe it's shoveling the snow or washing the windows. Whatever gift it is, whatever ability you have, God says, use it with the strength that I provide. Don't get worn out. Depend on me, get my strength, and use it to do the best job you can with the responsibility that, that is given to you. The, um, the challenge is, is great. There's so many things to be done, but if we all did our part and all used our gifts, speaking gifts, serving gifts, how much could we accomplish even though time is running out? The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of you know, sound judgment, think clearly, self-controlled, do the right things, stay connected to God through prayer, lock your arms with one another and, and stay unified in love, have a, a, an outreach of hospitality, uh, connecting with people around you in, in your community and reaching out to them to serve and to help them. Use whatever gifts you have. You know, if it's to say a word of encouragement or if it's to help shovel the snow, contribute to the big picture with whatever gift God has given you. So we have the, the foundational fact that time is running out. We don't know where we are in that, but you know, we get the impression that we're in a, in a two-minute warning. Do those things that are laid out in the action plans, but it doesn't end there. The, the next line is that so that, in order that. There's a purpose to all of this. There's an end that God has laid out for us. This is a, a remarkable end. It's not just that we will be exhausted at the end and finish strong and get it all done, which is, which is part of it. But there's a purpose that God is working out throughout history. He has, he has put this in play and allowed us to participate in it so that there's an end goal in mind, a purpose that he has designed, and that's to bring glory to God himself, to bring glory to himself. It's not about us. It's not about us being the, the focal point of the story. He's the main character in this plot. And for us to participate in that is a tremendous benefit. And he said, it's all about bringing glory to himself. And if you read Revelation chapter seven, there's a wonderful picture, the, the end times when there's this huge victory party, when everybody, the end is over and now we're in eternity. And there are people from every language and every nation all dressed in white in the purity that, that only God provides with palm branches of celebration and joy, crowding around this throne, talking and, and singing and praising God, singing glory, glory, glory to the God of, of our salvation. So a wonderful, wonderful picture of how OB Joyful Church and churches in Texas and churches in Virginia and churches in Ghana and churches in the Philippines are all gonna be together as we get through this last two-minute drill, this last phase of, of world history or our personal history, and we live our lives you know, thinking clearly, acting wisely, praying, loving, caring for one another, using our gifts, whatever they are, to bring glory to God. So thank you for the chance to be with you. Thank you for the chance to, to share from God's word. I pray that to this week, we would, uh, would think of how we can each apply something in this last two-minute drill as we uh, get ready for whatever God has in store. Thank you, Scott.
wherever Scott is. Oh, worship team. They're the ones coming up next. Thank you.